because the American will tell a story that sells to the West. But the African needs to tell a story that motivates the African. So nobody will come and do it for us. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the No Fat Cats podcast, where we help high-performing creative teams get even better. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. In this episode, we're going to sit down with Grace Capuia for a conversation about stories, and especially stories that organizations tell who do development work or nonprofit work. I've had the privilege of traveling to Africa a number of times, and I've spent quite a bit of time in Sierra Leone, and then I was able to study abroad in Uganda and Rwanda through the GoEd program, and um, have so really enjoyed conversations as we look at how do you empower people how do you lift them up one of the things i've noticed is that in order for people to get ahead they first need to be telling themselves a story of getting ahead so no one is going to be able to succeed or get ahead in life unless they can convince themselves first that they have the capacity to do so and this is where it's extremely important for people to have a strong internal narrative of success before it's going to happen on the outside as we were setting up, Grace just had some great things to say, and so I hit record as she was talking. And we'll start off as we explore the topic of how do we tell empowering stories and what are some examples that she knows. The women in Africa are really uprising. Their businesses are doing well, but you don't hear those stories. And those are the stories that build the young people, the young uh, youth, you know, the stories of success. And those stories are basically left unsaid. And even our own African press is so now used to this negative kind of reporting that they all stick to almost the same script. Very few actually come out to talk about the success stories that empower people, that build people. So it's very important that we don't fall into the dangers of telling our uh, single story, you know, of failure, of, uh, of Africans needing help, of, of nothing good happening. And yet many of the countries that are doing so well in Africa, uh, their GDP is growing so fast. Those are countries that used to be basket cases. Right now, a country like Ethiopia and Ghana, they're fighting for number one of growing of 10% per year. These were countries that, like Ethiopia, uh, even Tanzania is among the highest growing countries in the world. I mean, in, in Africa, almost growing at be, between 8 and 10%. And Tanzania was a very poor country. So those are countries that used to be very poor. They used to perform so badly. But these stories are not coming out. And yet, when they were going through famine, when, the, when they were going through a lot of poverty, Ethiopia was on the news everywhere. Ethiopia is doing extremely well. But those stories, you have to Google them to find them. Otherwise, they're not things that, they're not stories that you hear very often being told. And that kind of does not help people to get motivated, uh, to feel that something good is happening in their countries. And, and even on, on a macro level, the single stories of success, you know, like in, in Zimbabwe, there are these women who are growing potatoes in sacks. They're doing extremely well. They are really taking care of food security. And now the prices of potatoes have fallen. So this is a story that needs to be told. It is there, but, you know, very minor details. And such stories need 
to go out and, and motivate us more to solve our own problems. No, absolutely. So I am currently in Nairobi, sitting down with uh, Grace Kabuye. And so I have uh, was in town doing some work. And so I thought it would be great to meet up with Grace, uh, or Mama Grace, as affectionately known. Um, and she was a my development economics uh, teacher when I was studying abroad in Uganda, Rwanda, almost 10 years ago. Um, but we have stayed in contact. And it is always great to have a conversation with her. Uh, I know Grace has, um, besides teaching, she's also worked at times with the, um, worked for the UN and their public affairs in New York. And I really wanted to sit down um, with, with you to have that, have a conversation about narratives and how the narratives we tell can really um, empower people or in some ways create a self-reinforcing um, negative spiral because there's, uh, you know, there's often, and I've heard it said, um, you know, that we are the stories we tell ourselves. And, um, and so one of the things that I know I've always, always wrestled with, within the work I've done is that as Amer- as a kind of like Westerners or as Americans, we're telling stories, um, to motivate people to action. You know, the basis of the story is people connect better with a story where, you know, they're the hero in the story going out and making a difference. But I've wondered, um, you know, to what extent can those, are those stories creating a self-reinforcing, um, you know, narrative that doesn't actually empower people? Um, you know, there, because there are, have been times where I've, you know, met with people who are, you know, poor and their narrative for how they get out of poverty is, um, they need an NGO to come and help them. Um, and I think to a certain degree that can, they can put themselves in a very, um, you know, telling a, a narrative that is very, hard to escape. You're like, how do you give yourself a sense of agency and how do you, you know, get ahead when the narrative is you wait for somebody else to, to help. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about that process since you've been in kind of understand both worlds and have been very exposed to, you know, storytelling and the narrative and done a lot of work with uh, empowering women. And I know that one of the best ways to empower women is to give them uh, a new story or give themselves a story where they can see their own, their own self-worth. So I, I would love to hear, you know, for, tell a little bit about, um, you know, some of the work that you've done. Um, don't need to, you know, summarize all of it, but we would just love to hear as you think about, you know, narratives and, and empowering. But why don't we start with your most recent work in South Sudan, where you were trying to n- encourage, um, you know, working with empowerment. What, are, what have you found are some of those barriers to, to empowerment? Well, actually, my work in South Sudan was doing uh, during the independence of uh, Sudan, where we had a lot of hope, and I did uh, a program on how to actually increase literacy because the illiteracy is so high in Sudan. It was so so sad because I've done a lot of work in education and also enhancing women's empowerment through literacy. So I did that for UN Women in Sudan and also here in Nairobi. It's a while back, but uh, that's the kind of work I've been involved in because I really believe in that if you empower a woman, you empower a nation. And uh, with the rates of illiteracy in Sudan that are so high, it's really an uphill task. And we would really have to spend a lot, the international community or even the local Sudan Sudan government has to really work to educate its citizen to make sure that 
the illiteracy rate really goes down. Otherwise, they will need other East Africans to send labor there to help them, even with the basics of things like building and um, uh, in many service areas, hospitals, clinics, and all those things. They would definitely need help because the illiteracy rate is just too high. Even in parliament, some people couldn't read or write, which was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do, what story are you telling yourself when, you know, when a woman, you know, or even a person can't even read? And you know, I, I can imagine that telling yourself a story of that I am capable, I am, you know, I can do this is a lot harder when you walk into a space and, you know, you can't even read or, or write your own, own name. Um, can you talk a little bit about what is that what is that like for someone when they can't even read? It's very frustrating. I mean, I, I have a house help who could not read or write, and I was just like, I have to send her for training to read and write because it's it's really now like it's a human right for somebody to be literate. And uh, they have low self-esteem. They can't even read the basics like a prescription or if they're given a medication and they're told once, two times a day or three times a day, they have to remember that. Otherwise, if they forget it, they can even get an overdose. The basic things for their children, they can't read it. I mean, it's really, really bad. But Kenya doesn't have a high illiteracy rate. Sudan's was exceptional, and that was after independence, straight after. That is for South Sudan. I hope now it's better. But with all the wars that they've been going through, I don't know if it's any better. No, okay. No, I mean, since you mentioned Kenya illiteracy, I mean, it has been interesting for me being spending time in, in Kibera um, because I, I feel like there is a sense of kind of pride even being there. And at times people will say, well, you know, Kibera, like it's, it's free, like you can come and go, you can. And so there almost is this pride in terms of being like a center for arts and, um, in terms of a lot of musicians and people coming out. So it's like, even though, you know, there is a lot of poverty, there does seem to be a different narrative of, you know, trying to escape, um, and get out. And even though there is a lot of oppression, in terms of, you know, it's hard to get a job when you're from, from the slum. There does seem to be a, a different narrative of, of hope that it seems to be changing. How, how have you seen um, the, the narrative different when you're in South Sudan compared to, let's say, even Nairobi, where it's very much a bustling metropolis? Um, with In terms of what does that narrative look like for, for well, places like Well, Kenya South has built structures over a long time, and the government has really invested a lot in Kibera. And NGOs have been working for a long time in Kibera. And the youth in Kibera are amazing because of very high rates of unemployment. They're coming out and being very creative. So the arts and the dance and the music and, and the creativity in Kibera has just exploded. Before, people used to go there and Kibera people used to complain, Yani, uh, uh, Westerners come to look at us like we are in cages just to, you know, just to see how poverty is like. And it used to be very embarrassing for them and dehumanizing for them to just be stared at because some people just wanted to go to Kibera to see what's in Kibera. And that was very unfortunate. But Kibera has since come up. I mean, people go to Kibera to actually see arts, to see projects that are working, to get lessons learned. It's, it's changing very, very fast. And that's very good news. And that's a good story to tell. Uh, Sudan on the other side, South Sudan, though my information, I have to admit, is 
just after independence, they don't have any structures, you know. They, they had no government structures. They have no institutions, even during that time, to fight some of those uh, issues that they're facing, like illiteracy, like poverty, so that it's, it's a sorry state because they're still very, very far behind. And they need, the government needs to get itself in order so that it can create an enabling environment for all those things to occur, not necessarily to give handouts, but just the environment for people to function. Nobody can function without security. You can't function with very high levels of illiteracy. It's hard to function with no good communication. So those things need to be put in place. The structures need to be built. However small, people are resilient. It's amazing. And people are creative. Give them a little bit of peace and a little bit of, uh, of infrastructure and they'll the sky would be the limit. Yeah, so, so kind of once you get that, that base down, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes significantly easier to really, um, you know, explore and create and, you know, tell narratives about yourselves. So with that, I kind of love to explore. So I was in, um, I was back in, in Kenya soon after the movie uh, Black Panther had, had come out. Why, why was Black Panther such an inspiring movie for, um, for so many people? In terms of, it, it seemed like it was one of the first times that an an advanced African nation was portrayed on on TV, and it seemed like people just loved it because it told a story of hope and actually painted a picture of what, you know, of what what parts in Africa could be. What what were your impressions about uh, Black Panther? Why did why do you think people lo- loved it so much? Uh, this is a movie that, uh, apart from Lion King, <laughs> that actually portrayed Africa in a very positive uh, light. So, so let me get that straight. So in terms of movies that portray Africa in a positive light, yes. uh, you know, the, the Lion King came out over 20 years ago, yes. the first one. And so mm-hmm. are there any movies in between then that you would say really portrayed Africa in a, in a positive light that stand out to you? I'm not a great movie watcher, but uh, the the... The the Lion King, I thought, was a very good narrative because we have a lot of wildlife. And thereafter, when Lion King came out, people came to, to view Africa and, and view what it's like and, and, and see. Uh, we have a few documentaries. I don't remember their names, but basically most of them are on wildlife, you know. So it's it's... But this specific one that you're talking about, it's, it's a lot of people loved it because for once we had African heroes. <laughs> yeah, you know? no. Yeah. And, I, and I think having, um, you know, people always really, you know, you enjoy being able to live vicariously through heroes. Yes. Um, and so I think that's why, you know, it's extremely important for to tell more stories where Africans are the heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you can actually watch that story, watch people go through that struggle and actually and watch them succeed as opposed to having the hero be, you know, someone who's white who comes in and, and saves a problem. Like I think I think there's too many stories like that. And I think NGOs and nonprofits are often telling a story like that because it, it gets people's attention in the US, you know, to come and, and do something. But I'm wondering how harmful those stories in the long run could be if for actually for for people here in Africa. Like who, who's telling those stories of, you know, local African heroes who are really making a difference? Uh, 
Okay, the, most of our heroes are actually true stories. I know that my hero for a long time has been Nelson Mandela. You know, these are people who have fought for independence. Uh, the East African group that first started here, the, the Kenyatta's, they fought for independence. They have a story to tell. Some of them went through hardships. They were actually portrayed in very bad light in the West. But for us, these are our heroes, you know. And we have modern day heroes who some of them I won't mention because they're still struggling to actually make a difference. And some of them are in bad light with governments. But you can see that they're standing up to speak up, to say that these things are wrong. We need to care for, to create an enabling environment for a very uh, vibrant young population that is actually not, uh, that a very young population that is, uh, is, is not being empowered, that is devoid of resources for growth, you know, and development. So we are having these issues uh, that need, need uh, to be faced, but we have our own heroes in Africa. And may, maybe many more should, should shine up. We have women heroes, women leaders, so many of them recently, they brought some on, uh, on television, uh, people who are in charge of big organizations. And we are like, okay, wow, that's nice, you know. And uh, yeah, those are the stories that we need to hear. But I don't, coming back to the, how the West perceives Africa, in a way I don't blame them. Because the American would like to see the American hero coming to, to be a hero in Africa. That's that's what works for the American audience. But our own narrative, our own narrative needs to change. We need ourselves to tell our stories. We are not good writers. We are not good. We tell stories orally. <laughs> we are not good at writing our stories. Sit down with an African most, okay, I'm probably stereotyping, but the majority of us in most countries we like to tell stories over a fire. We like to pass on our stories, but just oral stories, but not written. And oral stories have a way of watering down, and some of them don't go on after a while. So as somebody who has stayed in academia for a long time, I've been really, really encouraging people to tell their stories. Even this, this weekend, I was telling somebody, told us a very interesting story. And I'm like, have you, told, have you written down that story? Don't die with it. <laughs> you know, so we need ourselves. We should not wait for somebody from the West to come and write our stories. We need to write them down ourselves. Okay. Yes. So it's interesting that, that you don't necessarily feel that, um, that the, it's the, the U.S.'s responsibility to tell African stories, heroes, but you're saying it's actually, you think it's, it's your Africa's responsibility to tell her own story yes. of succeeding. And, yes, and because the American odds. will tell a story that sells to the West, you know, but the African needs to tell a story that motivates the African. So nobody will come and do it for us. Right now we have enough educated Africans, enough people who can write, but it's just that we need to know how powerful stories can be. We need to counter the single story of Africa as a desperate place, as a place with no hope, 
and tell our stories from where we came from, how we tell our stories, how we pass on our values so that our people can actually be proud of our heritage. But if we don't write these things down, they're soon dying out. And many of our children are getting Western behaviors and forgetting what they stand for and even our history. Okay, the, our schools are dwelling on the African history very well. But we need to tell our other social stories and actually have them written down. No, absolutely. And, and, and who knows, maybe uh, maybe podcasting should really, it will, will be taking off. It's taken off in America, maybe um, with the oral stories, maybe the podcasting will help pick yes. up in, in Africa, especially with capturing some of those stories with, from people who are illiterate. Yes. You know, having them write it down is a little yes. bit tricky, but um, maybe the next wave will be podcasting in Africa as a yes. way of preserving those stories and passing them along. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yes. We need to do that. Yeah. Mm. So, so what role do you think that, you know, given what you just said for, for Western organizations that you're saying it's not their responsibility to tell the African story, but how do they enable Africans to tell their own story? Do you have any, any thoughts there? Yes, they, they, I, I would rather even say that instead of even enabling us to tell our story more, they should also give a balanced view of the stories that they tell. They could give a balanced view. It's okay to tell those stories of Africa is in poverty, Africa needs emergency funding, Africa needs help. It's okay to tell those things. But it's also not right to give a one side. It's good to give us stories that bring dignity to the African people, that stories that uh, make Africa shine a little bit. True stories, like I've just told you about Ethiopia. Ethiopia is doing extremely well. Just a few years ago, it was a basket case where they were even holding uh, fundraising concerts for it. Right now, Ethiopia is struggling for number one, is, is fighting for number one with Ghana as the fastest growing economy in Africa. That's a story. How come Ethiopia is doing so well? We would like to know, but you don't hear much of that. Until Ethiopia gets the next famine, that's when now you hear all the cameras turning on Ethiopia to tell that story. You know, Tanzania was doing so poorly so just a few years ago. Tanzania has turned around. Rwanda was a basket case of genocide. But now when the West tells the story and centers on some place like Tanzania or Rwanda, they'll zero in so much on the lack of democratic space and forget to shine on what good is happening in those countries. So I would, I would encourage the West to give a balanced story. Tell the stories of the bad things that are happening in Africa, the heroes that are coming from America, but also tell the stories of the projects that are failing because they're not being done well because there are no baseline surveys being done, the, <laughs> the, the lack of uh, proper preparation when the American comes to help sometimes, those stories also need to be told. Yeah, no, I think um, it's important to be able to capture those, the lessons learned mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of, oh, th this, this failed. But I think, you know, it's interesting because people are, you know, they're quick to point out, oh, well, cor this corruption happened or... This, this person stole funds, but they definitely don't point out when, you know, someone invested, uh, you know, $2 million and it flops, uh, you know, because they didn't take into account something or they didn't take into account um, that they didn't 
take the time to listen to people mm-hmm. and, um, and things, things kind of didn't work. Um, but I do really like that approach of, of what you're saying of really making sure that there is that balance mm-hmm. between it. Cause that's always one of the things that I struggle with is like when there is an actual need, do you simply not talk about it or is it a matter of you can talk about it, but also make sure that you really, um, share balanced stories mm-hmm. and, you know, for every story that shows the need, you're also telling a story of hope and of a local hero really reaching out, um, mm-hmm. and, and making a difference so that it's not just all the same, same exact story you're telling the, mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I like CNN heroes because many times they bring out people that we, we've never even heard of. You know, doctors in in Congo who are perf- really helping women. You know, there's that doctor in Congo who helped women who had problems while childbirth and they have problems. You know, so yeah, you, and when the the UN, one of the one, didn't they win a Nobel Peace Prize? Yes, or like that? yes. Yeah, that was I really mean, interesting. Yes, and that's a, a local doctor. So those stories inspire us when we see them, when we hear them. Uh, it's you know, you wake up in the morning and you you feel motivated. You say, yes, we can do it. And I think the African people, part of the reason that they feel despair sometime, or maybe I shouldn't say African people is so much of a single story narrative, but the majority of the people in poor countries, uh, they wake up every morning and hear the same story. We are hopeless. Let's wait for aid. Let's wait for someone to help us. It's, it's, it becomes difficult to get out of that, to feel motivated. But if you get the good stories, then that is motivational in itself. Stories that give us human dignity, stories that show that we want to take ourselves out of poverty. We don't have to wait for somebody to come come and take us out of poverty. So now America being advanced as it is, and we all look up to it, and our children, our youth are so addicted to American media. You can help us spread those good stories that you hear about us. Now, by, by really making sure that they tell those stories and, t- and tell those stories of yeah, resilience and of mm-hmm. people who are, mm-hmm. are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. And do you have any tips for teams in terms of maybe communication teams, creative teams that work for an organization in the States? Do you have any tips for what that looks like to actually get done? And um, do you think that, that that initiative to tell those kind of stories, does it have to come from organizational leadership or can one person within an organization push to tell those, those stories? We have a lot of uh, people who come to do development work from the States. They are well-read, they're intelligent, they're, they can document some of these stories. I know so many uh, people who work on the field in Rwanda who have documented stories of of, uh, of forgiveness and reconciliation in Rwanda. And those, the, the, that's the kind of, of good thing that we want. So the tips is just go when you're doing your work, get a good story and write it or podcast it. No, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I really think uh, podcasting is, uh, you know, taking off in America and I know mm-hmm. a lot. And so I think it, um, it really will be taking off, uh, you know, within Africa, uh, you know, obviously, a lot of countries in Africa, but I think it really will start taking off, especially when you mm-hmm. look at how important like radio has been, mm-hmm. um, throughout, you know, especially recently and how much people are likely to be listening to it. So I think that, uh, podcasting, uh, at some point will hit that, that next wave in, in Africa. I don't know when, but I'm sure you'll be hearing about it pretty soon. I'm guessing. Good. And now talk about Kibera. 
here I am in uh, Kibera, where I've been filming about most of the the week on and off. Um, and so there, definitely, you wouldn't want to just walk around with a camera in Kibera without knowing anyone. But here, what I always love is there's always great to have rely on local security. Is that people who live in an area will know what's safe and where to be. And uh, when you're with someone who people respect, you don't have to worry at all. And so here I, I'm with. Um, our our security Nixon. So so like first off, Nixon Nixon, tell me like what are what are some of the risks that you have to be careful about in Kibera if you don't know anyone? Okay, so many people are say Kibera is bad, but uh, you are walk around Kibera uh, one week, and uh, I we we walk with you around, and uh, I think security is good, no problem. You are safe. Yeah. Yeah, but and so what do you think? Are there areas in Nairobi that aren't safe? No, other area is not safe in Nairobi, but uh, in Kibera, we walk around, uh, no problem. No, absolutely. And so we've had absolutely no problems walking around with equipment here. And uh, but, but really, for me, as an outsider, I want to know what neighborhoods are safe in, in Nairobi, what areas I should avoid. But whenever you're with someone like, like Nixon, he knows where to go, where to be safe, and, and people respect him. So I haven't had any issues, and it's been been great having him uh, tell me where to go. When you're with someone like uh, Nixon, so he's known all over. So when you walk around with him, it's okay. But when you're alone, uh, not all places are safe. So you can be attacked, you can be, you can be robbed. But now, you have to walk with someone who's uh, known all over, like Nixon. Yeah. So, so usually you're saying, like, if I have Nixon, it's gonna be, pro- it's fine. But if I'd have to be a little careful if it, if I didn't have Nixon with me. Because now, now um, there's, a lo- there's a lot of uh, jobless people around, uh, uh, especially youth. So uh, the when you're jobless and you and uh, you don't have money, you will go like uh, the wrong way in life. So there are people who could like see you with a camera or maybe a necklace, and they rob you. So when you come alone, and then it's a, it's a dark place or a corridor or something, so they will decide to rob you so they could sell whatever you have to, to earn money. It, it's, it's, it's all about poverty, okay? So when you come, when you, you have someone like Nixon, it's okay, you can walk around because he's known all around, okay? He's one of the youth leaders around. So you have to come find someone like him or security to walk around. Yeah, but it's uh, actually within us. Uh, it's safe because when you're known, it's safe. But when you're new, you can be robbed. Yeah, and, and what do you think too? Is it is it better to always have local security versus hiring like the police or someone like that that, that just escalates things, right? Yeah. So normally, the security around here is. Uh, we we, 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 are on, we are our own security. We, we don't depend on police. Because when you call the police, they take too long to come. So most of the time, uh, the residents, they act on their own. You, when someone is uh, robbing someone, we, we, we actually capture him on our own. So we, now we forward him to the, to the authorities. Yeah. But in, mo- in most cases, we, we actually don't depend on the th- authorities. Yeah, we have the vigilantes. So they, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
anything to add, uh, Kevin, about local security or? So far, uh, as, you, as you can compare, Kibra from other areas of Nairobi, Kibra is quite more safer. This is because they believe in their own security. Um, if you come, you hire a policeman or a security officer, it's even much more, uh, not even safer than having a local person who is well known. Because somebody like Nixon is known all over Kibra and different corners. So... Um, when you're having him, your security is well guaranteed. Unlike uh, coming up with a coming um, down with a security officer who is not known to the people, and such and such actually terrifies them, and uh, they can't help you even how much uh, you needed uh, help from them. Uh, if you wanted to, for example, uh, know much about their life, they can't open up because they fear the person you are coming with. But someone like Nixon and any other person who is uh, influential as per se, as the way he is, it's quite safe. And uh, everything you want in, in, in Kibra, you are likely to get, or any information you are likely to get from the people. Well, thanks so much. It's been uh, great hearing from you guys, and uh, definitely agree for tips for anyone else who wants to work in an area. As a creative team telling stories, always try to find someone uh, like Nixon who can be your local security, give you tips, and uh, people feel much more comfortable than if you try to come in with police to try to do something. you saw some amazing things. I mean, Kibera, if you had gone there maybe 10 years ago, you'd have been shocked um, walking on the streets of Kibera on the dark alleys of Kibera. And now you're going there when there's so much Kibera has to offer. It's so vibrant. There's so much creativity. Yes, no, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, having discussions with people about, about Kibera, that even though it is um, you know, it's one of the larger slums in Africa. What they were talking about was saying that all the artists are coming from Kibera. There's singers, there's, you know, people doing, um, you know, at one point there was a, a music, a little music, uh, place that offered music lessons that had this like beautiful mural painted on the outside. And, um, and so people really are, you know, they're excited about the arts and the vibrancy that's coming out of Kibera. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely also proud about it too. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was the thing that was great is that people were, um, you know, they were, they were being willing to tell that narrative of all the exciting things that are coming in that, in that vibrancy. And, um, and there are people who are coming up with solutions and like really taking time to really, um, identify what the problems are and, and tackle those. So there's one group that I was, that I've been working with who, um, a local organization. And at first they, they, one of the things they said is, oh, well, we need to take care of our trash because there's trash here. And then they actually said, well, let's stop and actually talk to people like hear their story, hear what, what they actually need. And they discovered that, you know, that there are a number of disabled women out all throughout Kibera that actually needed, um, they wanted to like run their own businesses and wanted to needed like advice on how to get partners and wanted mentors to be able to help them and, and help them really survive and not just survive, but actually, you know, be empowered to, to like take care of themselves. And that was what they wanted. And so that was what they started focusing on was, um, doing that, connecting them with mentors who could really walk them along that process of, you know, running their own business. And I mean, I met this other day, met a blind, a woman who is visually impaired. So she wasn't completely blind. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, you know, in a lot of other places you might find someone who's blind and they're just, you know, maybe begging or from anybody in this case, she was selling all of her own, like she had beans that she was selling cause she could feel them. And, you know, she all, it, 
all that she needed a, a mentor and a, to help occasionally, but it was something that she could actually do because she had someone there to help her and guide her. And, um, the, the person didn't have to be there guiding her all the whole time, but just having that person to bounce ideas off of and encourage, um, was just super helpful for her. And just great to see people very proud of what was coming out of, of Kibera and kind of excited about, about what was next. I mean, so the struggles definitely are still um, real, but I feel like that the narrative they're telling themselves is different now. Mm-hmm. See? Now, those are the stories you're, you're putting out, and that's very helpful to us. Those stories of people who really care, because the narrative can be different. If you take to America the narrative that all those Africans, they are so poor, they need... They need help. They need you to help them. They can't help themselves. They look at us as a basket case, you know, or they're always dependent. Oh, they need our help all the time. They can't do anything from this themselves. Africans are lazy. That's, that's not true. Africans are not lazy. Women wake up at, to, at six in the morning to go far places to fetch water. Then they come back and they have to cook and they, they, they have to look for firewood to cook the food for their children. Children have to walk miles to go to school. So it's not laziness. It's just the conditions are so difficult and they create despair. And sometimes we need help to to get out of the vicious circle of poverty. And sometimes somebody from outside can actually show you what could be obvious to them. And, uh, and sometimes that's all we need, someone to point out the obvious. But we but basically this notion that Africans are lazy is is really unfair to a people and a population that basically depends on working with their own hands every single day of their life. So the, uh, in, under very difficult conditions. And uh, so these are stories that you're telling which are very good. And that would even encourage an American who is giving to that organization in Kibera, knowing that they're actually doing some good work. Yeah, and in the case of Kibera, it was actually a local organization. So it wasn't you know, an outside organization coming in telling them what they need to do. It was actually people who cared about their community and were really... Um, taking the steps to make a difference, and and how um, did they raise their funds? I mean, so they have they have been raising some from outside, um, but the, also this one group was um, they started a group called called K Shoes, and they're actually making shoes from like sixty percent recycled material. So they're taking a number of like ti- like inner, like tires and kind of discarded cloth that's you know if part of it's been torn and making them into shoes that are then sold and fifty uh, percent of the, the profits then go into support this little um, incubation business for for women um, and helps get them going with their own small businesses. Um, and so they're creating some like very like the shoes that look just there's they're not all the same, but they actually are very vibrant and colorful and um, very much a, you know, like great artistic designs coming out of, out of Kibera. Wow. Um, I would love to see those. Yeah. So yeah, they're called, called K shoes. And so I think they have a pop-up stand in, you know, tribe mall or, um, and you, I think you can buy them online, but it wasn't somebody else coming from the outside telling them, oh, you could do this, but it was a, a grassroots, um, you know, idea of saying, Hey, we can take all this stuff and really make something of it. That's, that's valuable that we can sell. I almost wonder if, the best thing that can be done isn't so much, oh, here's a, let me give you a thing, but actually what does it look like to build um, build relationships that are like mentoring relationships? Because I know at times I've actually 
Um, you know, anytime I've had a mentor or someone who actually like stops and listens and gives me ideas and then I'm able to, to bounce ideas off, I always find that much more helpful than if someone were just to, oh, here's a, here's a thing, you know, you need this thing and, and give a thing. And so I wonder how often are, um, you know, or almost, I almost wonder if organizations are, they're getting too caught up with the, the physical things as opposed to working with people's um, helping them tell tell their own story and actually stop and listen and uh, value and like brainstorm and encourage and encourage you know the validity of ideas. Um, how often do you see stuff like that going on in terms of the actual relationship building that leads to encouragement and, and ideas? Uh, it's difficult because the even the people here are so used to handouts such that when they see somebody from the West, they believe, oh, they're going to give us. Uh, it's now we are changing the narrative. I mean, time is, is they, we're starting to say, no, you know, we, we, we don't need to be given. But for a long time, aid destroyed our thinking. It was so, so people would want to walk with you Wests but they would expect something from you. And I've seen this a lot, working with Westerners and, and people, local people. They would expect to be given. But I've realized that the best way to make people empowered and for them to say, wow, okay, is to ask them their needs during the time of need assessment. When you ask their advice and say, okay, exactly what are your needs? How can we tackle them? That's when people's eyes pop and they're like, okay, this is, you mean we, we, we are going to help you make this decision, how you're going to spend the money or how we are going to be helped? Perfect. Then they're motivated to actually uh, be part of the problem solving. Then actually you change their mind. Their mindset starts changing. And they're like, okay, this, I'm not going to receive in kind necessarily, but I'm going to be part of the process of solving a problem. So when you walk with the people and you ask for their advice, the narrative changes. It's not, it's not normal. You know, they're always told this is a good thing for you. I'll give you an example. I worked, I, I, I know of an institution that got an expat from, from the States. And their problem was that they had this whole village that seemed like something was wrong with, their, with the, uh, the, the, the health of the children. They looked malnourished. So when the person came, he took one look at them and was like, okay, these kids do not have enough, enough protein. So we are going to start giving them peanuts when they go to school, we are going to give them a packet of peanuts. So they bought many peanuts and they started giving them to these kids. Now, this is in a country where the food is basically potatoes and beans. Now, beans is protein. So they, it was not a protein deficiency that they were suffering from. They were having ashy skin and, and they were getting sick, the kids, because one, they were not having enough meals and two, they were not having fruit and vegetables. So their skin was being affected. Now this later, they did the needs assessment. And now they had spent so much money on all these peanuts. <laughs> then they were like, okay, so really the problem is not protein. 
but they're not having enough fruits and vegetables. So they started uh, home gardens, helping people to come up with, uh, to plant their own fruits and vegetables, vegetable gardens and fruit gardens. And very soon the problem was solved. But because they went around and did a need survey and actually involved the village and the villagers started planting these gardens and they were so happy. And I actually visited some of those vegetable gardens and they were so proud of them. And the women would go and get their own vegetables. But you, you might wonder, how come they didn't know that they needed vegetables? It was not their staple uh, kind of, of food. They, they, you know, they once, sometimes someone needs to sh come from outside to show you what you need, but they need to ask you what the problem is or to look around or do some needs assessment before they actually just invest. Yeah, so what you're saying is it's really important for people to to actually engage in yes. in that narrative. Yes. Um, and I think in some ways, in, in this case with vegetables, the the outside was really acting kind of as a guide and yes. helping the you know the local the village be the hero by actually planting the vegetables mm -hmm. and helping them um, be able to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, you know, they're really acting as as the hero. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the villagers, but actually planted, and you said they're, they're, the people were proud of, of these vegetables that they were making. So much, so much. And when they were told, you know, you, you guys are falling sick because you're not having any vegetables. The children are not eating enough fruit. Do you eat fruit? You have bananas, but you're not even giving them to the kids. You need to give them more bananas, but now you need to plant vegetables. So they, And you, can, you don't even have to buy them. Have a small vegetable garden. And every homestead was encouraged to have a vegetable garden. And they were very successful no that, that's great and mm -hmm. in that case what it took was that you know stepping in and helping mm -hmm. ch helping them change the narrative yes but not simply you know dumping things mm -hmm. and and telling them oh you you need this but it's mm -hmm. there's an element of walking i think walking, walking along with them walking with them mm -hmm. and then helping them and no money was given them. to them everything they planted they could get seeds locally but they were just walked with them and said, what is the problem? You know, what kind of food do the children eat? Then a baseline survey was done and whatever, and they found the problem. Oh, okay. And they solved it. And, they, and they, so what, they didn't come in and say, oh, here are the vegetables and, mm -hmm. you know, no. drop them off. No. <laughs> like they tried doing with the peanuts. Yes. The and peanuts that. were bought from town and they were brought and given to the kids in school. Kids were eating Beans at home, peanuts at school. They were having a good dose of protein. <laughs> but that wasn't the issue at all. No. And then, but what it took was that telling a story of, of walking alongside and, mm -hmm. and mentorship mm -hmm. um, and being more that guide role mm -hmm. and helping them succeed. No, that's great. Are there any, any other stories that come to mind along that? Or th Another story that I remember, I, I, w I was with this organization where uh, some very good, you know, minded or kind people came to see uh, children that they actually had um, sponsored, you know, this business uh, the, of sponsoring children. So they decided they were coming as a team and they were going to see the children. So we were on this occasion where they came and they came from the airport and they were so excited to see the kids and the kids were very many and they handed out toys. They came with very many toys. Now, I wish they had asked the 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 coordinators, what kind of, of uh, gifts should we bring the children? They didn't. 
they thought, oh, every kid will need a toy. So they brought these uh, cars, small cars. They brought the dolls. I mean, the kids were excited. They played with them. And by the end of the day, all those toys were left on the field. It was, it was a sorry state because the kids definitely would have, if they had asked the coordinators, the coordinators would have said, okay, if you could get them cheap shoes, they, they would take them along because those kids really needed them. If you can get them T-shirts, you know, things that last longer. Uh, these, uh, this team of very, very, um, you know, kind people would have had a greater impact. Yeah, but instead they came in knowing with, oh, we know what they need. And yes, you know. yes. This is Christmas in America for the kid in Africa. It's good intentions, but we wish they had asked the coordinators, what do you think are the appropriate gift gifts for the children that we sponsor? They would have come with much, much longer lasting and needy gifts for these children. It would have been a better better use of resources. Better use of resources. Probably the children had written uh, letters asking for toys, but the coordinators would not better. No, no, yes. No, mm. absolutely. Well, Grace, it has been uh, absolutely great talking with you. And then I hope that, um, I know this has definitely been uh, helpful for me as I'm just thinking through you know, the stories that we tell and the, the ones that we encourage. And I think the, the big takeaway for me has been, um, you know, really like walking alongside people to tell mm -hmm. stories and making sure there's always a good balance. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I also liked how, you know, you brought up that, you know, it is ultimately, you know, up to the African people um, to be able to kind of help tell their own story. But when we should be looking for more ways to, um, you know, walk alongside and, and empower people to tell their own story mm -hmm. and create that space um, for them to do that. Um, and at the same time being, res you know, receptive and helpful and, um, yeah, building a relationship where you're kind of a guide walking alongside someone versus mm -hmm. necessarily um, always. But at the same time, I also felt that your um, kind of the justification of saying that you didn't necessarily expect that you're okay with Americans telling stories where they're the heroes because that's what would resonate with them, mm -hmm. but not just making sure that's not the only kind of story mm -hmm. you're telling. Um, I thought that was like a, a very fair take because um, I've also I've sometimes wrestled with what is that balance between between the two. Um, and it, it sounds like you just say that's you're okay with it as long as it, there is a balance. And mm -hmm. I think that's the big issue is that they're not, there isn't always a balance mm -hmm. between the two. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You. It has been yeah, great having you on the podcast and thank, um, you. Uh, thank you so much. Been great having you too, Wes. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to the No Fat Cats podcast, where we help high-performing teams get even better. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. Thanks for tuning in to this episode as we talk about narratives and how we empower people. If you know of someone who works in kind of the development nonprofit space, maybe they go on missions trips, uh, you know, through a local organization or their church, I encourage you to send them this episode to think about how we can tell better narratives that will really empower people. Um, it's something I'm definitely very passionate about. So feel free to share this episode with someone you know. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed it so far, please give us a, a rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening, as that definitely helps. So until next week, have a great one. Adios. <laughs>